I'm only the hors d'oeuvre. Mary is the real full meal deal today. Mary is one of the most outstanding women of God I've ever met. And I'd rather really be down there and have her have the whole hour. She's just uh, one of my very favorite people anywhere in the world. And I do say that whenever she's not there as well. I want to take you on a little journey, so I'll watch my time, and I won't be a fire hose, I promise. That's such an exaggeration. I have, I have no problem keeping up with myself, so it's around about 24 on my watch. Yeah, that's about right over there, so I'm going to give lots of time to Mary. She's got till 3 p.m., and she works on First Nations time, so I'll work on Scottish time. Scottish Canadian time. I want to start with a couple of verses, then a couple of stories, and then little unpacking of some verses. Gee, this is, this is going to be interesting, turning back and forward, but we'll do it. I do feel like I'm in a fashion parade. In the book of Jeremiah, you have one of the most searching scriptures and if we're in scripture in the Bible. And it's around about verse five. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? The essence of what's behind that particular verse is change. I was sharing in the prayer initiative this past week on the first day I was sharing all about the signs of the times. And I think Mary is going to be sharing also on end times. There's a part of an Issachar within me these days that so wants people to understand the times that we're in, but not so much for the alarm, but as a wake up call, because the church has been very, very sleepy. And it's very much as the book of Hosea would, ref would, would reflect on that it's time for us to be plowing land and ground. Up until now, it's never been plowed. There's virgin land. There's virgin territory. I've been sharing some of these little overtures that we've gone from about eight to a thousand, almost a thousand cities or communities or territories now in transformation. Now, that doesn't mean perfection. You and I are far from perfect. Just ask my wife, ask my dog. They'll tell you that I'm far from perfect. But we're in a process of being transformed as our cities and in some cases up to 20, 25 nations that are now actually in the process of going through transformation. That means you go on to the territory and you can actually determine and sense and see and feel you yourself can come to an understanding of why that land is actually in the process of going through transformation. At the same time, there is a very sober warning. And the warning comes from Jesus to the church of Sardis. And it goes like this. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. But actually, in spite of the life you exhibit, you're really dead. Therefore, wake up. Number one, wake up. Number two, strengthen what remains is about to die. For I found your deeds. I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Number three, remember, therefore, what you have received. And number four, obey it and repent. Because if you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief. Look at these four words again. Wake up, strengthen, 
remember and obey. These are very sobering words for a time such as this. There's a question that you'll find reflected in the Bible by people in an era when John the Baptist began to share with his message of repentance. And I want to reflect on this before Mary comes up. You can find these words being referred to around about Luke chapter 3. And here you have John the Baptist who has been giving a word of preparation. And you, you know what he said. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in and so on. All mankind shall seek God's salvation. And he begins to speak with a sense of urgency about coming change. And he captures the imagination of the listeners. And then he says, the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down, thrown into the fire. A little reflection on what Jesus would later say in Revelation 3. You better strengthen what remains. Waken up. Obey. And so the people naturally ask this question, what should we do? And John says, the man with two tunics should share with the one who's got none. The one who's got food should do the same. Then the tax collectors, they come representing another part of society. Teacher, what should we do? He says, don't collect any more than you're supposed to, than you're required to. Then the soldiers come. What should we do? Don't exhort money. Don't accuse people falsely. In other words, John the Baptist is giving a very specific answer to the question of society. What should we do? Now, to go back a little bit further in the Gospel of Luke, you have a moment of time when Mary, who would be the mother of Jesus, visits Elizabeth. At that time, this is chapter 1, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. That's in Elizabeth's womb. That's John the Baptist leaping. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child that you, Mary, will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby, John the Baptist, in my womb, let for joy. You see, there's something about the presence of Jesus, even when he was at that moment within the womb of Mary, just probably right after conception, when the, when the angel came upon her, that breathed life into the promise that Elizabeth was carrying. And later, John the Baptist would recognize from the moment of when he was in the womb, this promise that was coming his way. Today is a day in which all of us have this corporate womb of expectancy. We must be blind if we do not see what's going on around us. If I lived in this nation, for me, November the 4th of this year would certainly be a watershed moment. I will guarantee you that from this time on, you will see one change after another change, not just because you are president-elect, has used the word change, but inevitably you will see consequential changes. But you have to know that any promise that God has ever whispered into your womb has never been forgotten. And in spite of the issues going on around us, 
despite of all the freneticisms of life, you can be certain God is at work. And there's life he's breathing into that which he already has conceived in each one of our lives. And that's why I am so excited by this day, even in the midst of all the issues going on around us. And I shared with you a whole list of things a few days ago, which I think you taped about what I see going on in the world around us at this time. There's destiny. There's expectancy. All of these issues are leaping inside us. We're getting ready to run with the horses. But if we don't know how to run with man, this change, which is about to be released very, very quickly, is going to find some of us in the ditch. And so it's time that we girded up our loins. It's very high time that we understand how to hold on to the reins of these horses, these issues that God is presenting us with today. Later, John the Baptist, you can find this if you want, way back in Matthew's gospel. Later, John the Baptist himself even begins to ask searching questions. Change is not what he expected. He knew it was coming, but not in the way it came. And there you'll find around about Matthew 11 or so, John the Baptist is now in prison. He's almost ended his ministry. But he still has this leaping within his womb saying, have I completed what I was sent to do? And he's heard that Jesus is now ministering in the very places where he told people to leave. In the dens of sin, in probably places like Hollywood, in issues of ill repute, in bars and saloons and places of prostitution, where the tax collectors gathered for their glass of wine to see how much they had managed to extort from people of the soldiers. And he begins to think, this is not what I expected. So when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replies to the disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those of leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, go and tell John, yes, all he declared would come has come. Maybe not in the way that he expected, but it has indeed come. You see, very often what happens, we want change, but we don't recognize it when it comes because ever so subtly, we're still caught in the web of familiarity. We're caught in that pool, which is rather comfortable, even though it might be a pool of paralysis. Here you find the same thing in John chapter 5. Here you find Jesus going up to Jerusalem for a feast. And there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool called Bethesda. Now, this is at the place which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Some people feel that that's a living metaphor of, of the apostolic ministry, the, the governmental ministry, the fivefold ministry. And right in the midst of paralysis is found the government of the church. And, and Jesus is about to upset the apple cart. Jesus is about to release a form of change in order to remove the paralysis of the way people think he should be turning up on their terms of reference. Now, get, get, the, get the depth of this. It's quite, it's quite extraordinary. Here, at this place, at this pool, by the five cover colonnades, this is where the wall began around Jerusalem, by the way. Whenever you come to the point of origin of the wall, the sheep gate is called, that's very significant. So, they have the blind, so they have the lame, 
They have the paralyzed. One was there who had been there for 38 years. Now, that's an awful long time to be sitting in your backside, waiting for something to come, hoping that Lord was 649 just might come your way. When Jesus saw him lying there and even Jesus had to learn, remember, he was fully man and fully man. He learned, he researched, he asked the right questions that he had been in that condition for a long time. He asked this man who is the template of the church a question. Do you want to get well? That was the question. And the man answered, well, according to redaction, criticism, philosophical disclosure, the issue and the essence of my particular manner of dispensationalism is that I have been there for resting in this place of discontent on paralysis, waiting for an angel who sometimes appears periodically, maybe if we're lucky. Problem is, what? shut up. Excuse me. I didn't ask you that question. Jesus doesn't quite say it like that. But you almost does say it. Well, you didn't listen to what I'm saying. I don't want your old excuses. You see, there was in those days a subtle belief that an angel might appear. And if you stirred the water, first in gets healed. But there's nobody to put me in. But I don't think God works like that. In fact, if you know your theology, a little bit of it anyway, this was a Gnostic gospel. John wrote to the Gnostic thinking, mysterious thinking people of the day who loved all these mysterious things going on in queer places, quiet places, unusual places. Jesus doesn't work like that. He's out in the open. Matter of fact, he's in front stage, center, set one, act one and all the rest of that. He doesn't wait for old angels. He doesn't wait for old hopes that have never come to pass because they were based on barren truth. He interrupts the flow of humanity and he says, do you want to get well? Then pick up your mat and walk. And at once humanity, the church was cured because they obeyed and aligned themselves with the word of God. Then on the day that took place, this was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law says you can't get healed. The law says you can't get into your destiny. The law says you can't change. Oh, shut up. But he replied, well, that's what my version says. The man who made me well, he says, you pick up your mat and walk. So they say, well, who is that guy? Well, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus slipped away into the crowd. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you're well again. Stop sinning. Stop going back into old belief systems. Stop allowing yourself to get framed into a Gnostic, mysterious form of belief in which an angel may play games with you. He may taunt you and tease you, and he may try and stir the water knowing you can't get in. Listen to the Savior I serve does not work like that. He never has worked like that. And I don't want to be involved in paralysis for another 38 years. I don't know about you. See, God is not interested in this kind of old wineskin thinking, this kind of old, very questionable belief system. We can learn from them, but we're not to be conditioned by them. Jesus said, stop sending no more paralysis. Get on with your life. Come on, rise up into all that God's got prepared for you. John the Baptist had said the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. And when it comes here, this issue of change is that God never changes, but he's always changing us more and more into his likeness and more and more into what he's got been preparing for us for such a long time. Why do you think so many nations and so many cities, so many industries are now coming to Christ? 
Because there's a shift on globally, folks. This shift, what was a year, is now a month. This shift, what was a month, is now a week. This shift, shift what was a, a week, is now a day. This shift, what was a day, is now an hour. This shift, what was an hour, is now a second. I can hardly keep my breath because I'm watching God at work with a sense of breathlessness. Have a look at John chapter 2. You'll see what I mean. You all know the story. It was the place of the first miracle that Jesus undertook. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said they have no more wine. In other words, folks, the church has run out of its personal strength and resources. Praise God. It's about time to get rid of bizarre bazaars. I don't know. When I first went to a church, they said, well, you better be good about this bazaar. They pay your salary. I said, my God, you use these old clothes to pay my salary? I don't think so. So the first thing was to get rid of the bizarre bazaars. No more bazaars for me. Thanks very much. Have a good day. His mother said to the servants, now you do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six, fallen number of men, six stone wafer jars, uh, water jars, sorry, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holds from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them to the brim to the top. Then he told them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. This means Take it to the governments, take it to the mayors, take it to the head of all the studios in Hollywood. Everybody is going to get an insight as to what God is up to. They did as long as we position the Lord in those places of our areas of responsibility, our areas of reference, the areas in which God wanted but would be positioning us based on what we do day by day. Second Corinthians 10. So they did so in the master of the banquet tasted the water that was now wine and this didn't make any sense to him everybody brings out the choice wine first and then they're anesthetized they get drunk they don't know what's good for them after that they get the they get the rubbish but you've been waiting for now until you serve the best like what is this and out of this jesus then reveals his glory you see we're so easily conditioned by what culture dictates even in the culture of the four wall church, the culture of the four wall church must always have the plumb line of the word of God. But the plumb line of the word of God does tend to change us more and more and more and more into his likeness. Jesus, you see, was changing the season. He was getting ready for us to run with horses. He was ready to accelerate us into a paradigm of belief unlike anything we'd ever seen. Can you imagine what it would be like? When the glory of God comes to this area and this place is going to have a standing room only line up from 6 a.m. every Sunday morning. See, I've seen those things. I was in a place once with 50 other pastors in another land. And at that time, I was still residentially pastoring. I don't look like an Anglican pastor. I don't know what they're supposed to look like. But when people know I am, they always say, well, you don't look like one. You don't sound like one. I don't know what that means. But anyway... Anyway, and we move on. I said, so what's going on here? They said, we'd like you to come and stay in this nation. I said, why? Well, they said, because we don't have you here. I said, me? Well, one of you. So what's your problem? We've got all these other denominations around here. I said, yeah, I'm thrilled. You've got loads of leaders. No, Alistair, that's not the point. The point is we're having too many people come to Christ every day. We're having a thousand come to Christ every day in our city. We don't know what to do with this. We don't have you with us because you're not with us. We're not complete. This is like an expression that you might find, for example, coming out of the Gospels when Jesus goes fishing, Luke 5, and, and suddenly you get this expression of all these partners were signaled. 
too many fish and the boats start to go down. You could come and help us. Well, I said, I'm pastoring somewhere else. No, you're not hearing what we're saying. If you will come, this is the ministerial speaking. We will pay your first year salary. If you will come, we'll even build you a church at our expense. Now, that's called relational unity. That's the unity I look for when there's no more competition. There's only completion. That's what revival is like, dear friends. When the presence of God permeates, impregnates every single part of civilization, I salivate after that. That's my vision. That's my heart. That's what I see when I look around here. It is not too hard for God to invade Hollywood as long as you people are disciplined and diligent in tripping the wire of change, understanding the seriousness of a new season. Don't go into paradigms of weird things like waiting for angels to come and stir the water because they ain't going to come. Instead, get off your backside onto your mat, as that's what Jesus would say, and start the process of change because when we ignite change, then God begins to reveal Act two and act three and act four tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creep in their petty place from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays of lighty fools, the way to dusty death, out, out, brief candle, lights by the walking shadow and so on. Never mind the soliloquy of life anymore. That's Shakespeare, right? Yeah, I'd love Shakespeare. Never mind the soliloquies of life. Stop all that nonsense. Get into the reality of what God is doing today. Because there's an effervescence of God being released at a rate we've never seen before. At the moment when people are saying, what shall we do? We're running out of time. The baby is leaping. Oh, dear friends, this is an incredible moment of history. I was sharing last night with Michelle and David that... About six years ago, I had a very strange time I went through. Uh, the strange time was we were moving from where we used to live to where we live now. And, you know, I'm a little bit conservative, but not a lot conservative, but I am a little bit. We moved to the city where we've been teaching a transformation conference. And then the mayor and, and the ministerial said to us, would you be willing to come and, and uh, stay here? Well, it's always a great honor to be asked that. But in this particular situation, we felt God was calling us to change. Well, I had a house on a mortgage in Victoria, but we had to put a bid on the house to make it work when we were there. I thought, well, two houses. This is getting a little bit testy even for me here. Anyway, I decided to put a mortgage agreement down, and we now had the house. We'd have to buy it out in three months. But by that time, I thought, praise God, I have a house to sell in Victoria. No problem. But obviously, Uncle Fred's your godfather, and off we go into life. So I thought... Well, God doesn't work like that. Two and a half months later, there's not even one offer on our house. And I began to see my demise coming very, very quickly. Two mortgages, no payments, and I'm about to go to jail somewhere if they can find me. On that particular night, I knew I I didn't want to go. I had to go to Scotland to teach at a seminar. I got on the first flight to Vancouver, went into the airport lounge, sat down feeling totally miserable when I was just told by the, the, um, the guest host there, the concierge, that your flight's five hours late. I don't want to hear that. Meant no connection. London couldn't get to Aberdeen, couldn't teach at the school, couldn't tell the people. Oh, God, how, how bad will things get? I just want to sell my house and get out of here. And there's a man stands there. He says, are you Alistair Petrie? The first thing that goes through my mind is, what are they after? So I said, well, yeah. Then he says, what are you, what are you doing here? I thought, what kind of a question is that? I said, well, that's a good question. I'm trying to sell my house, and 
I'm trying to get to Scotland. This flight's five hours late. I don't know what to do. I won't get there. And he pointed his bony finger at me. and He said, you have got five hours to go and sell your house. Would you mind selling your house so we can please all get on our journey to wherever we're going? I said, what? Then he disappeared. He just went away. I did what any normal husband would then do. I'd go and phone my wife. And I get to my wife and I say, uh, honey, it's on the phone. It's Alice. Where are you? Well, I just want to tell you my little plight. Where are you? I want to tell you my problem. Where are you? Honey, I'm in the airport. Good. But don't you? No, I don't want to know anything else. Get to a fax machine. But why? Well, because, Alistair, there's two real estate agents here. Somebody wants to buy the house. We need your signature and papers now, right now. Get to a fax machine. So for five hours, we faxed the papers backwards and with forwards. At the end of the fifth hour, I couldn't believe it. We'd sold the house at the price we knew was right. And they even said, we'll come in within three weeks. Unheard of in Canadian real estate. Unheard of which meant everything was working according to what I had hoped for months before. But then this man stands there. He's right beside me. He said, just sold your house, didn't you? So how did you know that? Oh, he said, I know. He said, the replacement aircraft just came, but God would not let that come till you learned your lesson. Now, meanwhile, there are real business people who are flying at real business prices who are saying in not particularly nice English words, to the host, where is the blankety bank plane? We're paid $6,000 for the seat. Well, I wasn't about to put my hand up and say, excuse me, God's trying to teach me a lesson. Therefore, there is no airplane here. Well, I tell you, I got in that flight and I put my head down. I said, Father, I am terribly sorry. What's, what have I missed? He said, son, you had me so boxed in to the way you thought I should work based on your familiarity of the past, that it reduced me basically to a puppet God in your hands. Never forget that I am the potter and you are the clay and never forget that also time has shifted so quickly that change is subject to whatever I choose to do. I hold all time in my hands. And if you do not believe that, you'll be not fit for what I have for you to do. And you will not have any right or any authority or any authenticity to go anywhere in the world and teach about me and my way of changing things if you're not willing to go through it, first of all, yourself. You see, I was in that place of what should I do that's why the book of Revelation is so important. It's time to waken up, strengthen what remains, strengthen the reality of what God has said in the past in our lives that still may be lying dormant. Remember what he has said. Let it come to life. Obey, repent when necessary. Father, these are extraordinary moments in which we live. Think about Luke chapter 6. And here you have, again, in this particular expression of God, Jesus teaching on a Sabbath. He goes into the synagogue. He was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The right hand in the Bible always means the hand of authority. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, Get up! Rise up and now stand. This means stand in that place of intercession. This means get into that place 
of where issues are out of alignment with me. It says here in Psalm 94, who will rise for me against the wicked, who will take a stand for me against evildoers. Stand and then do it in front of everybody. Now, you know what? To get up is one thing. To stand is another thing. All right. I guess I'll be seen a little bit. To do it in front of everybody is like to go down this thing with clothing on, learn how to do a little twirl, a little, you know, a little parida, a little bit of highland dancing, something like that. You want to do some highland dancing? No, you know how to do it. And then, then he says, okay, I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm out of my realm of familiarity. I'm getting away from my pool where perhaps the angel just might show up. You never know. I'm leaving my don't go too far away in case I fall off. I'm leaving. Thank you. I'm leaving my paralysis because I, I got up. But then he says the worst thing of all. Stretch out your hand. Wait a minute, Lord. That's my weakness. I have a withered hand. You don't seem to understand, Lord. I am not able to do these things because I've got a withered hand. He said, I know. Stretch it out. I'd really rather not stretch out my place of weakness for people to see it. I mean, I really don't want to go this way before. I'd rather stay in my place of paralysis, my withered association with life. Stretch it out, Alistair. Yes, all right. And it was made whole. Oh, my gosh. It's made whole. At your word, Father, I will stretch out my place of weakness. And it will be made whole sometimes right on the stage of life where everybody can see me. You see, son, if you can't even keep up with men, how are you going to keep up with horses? Because the horses are about to be released. The signs of the times are all around us, folks. We have to be willing to get up out of our stupor. We have to be willing to have our eyes open to see what's going on around us. Listen to what the Holy Spirit's counsel is. Have minds that are being retrained and reframed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to have hearts ready into which God's going to be depositing such extraordinary insight, precept upon precept. Let me tell you right now, God is writing a script for us, each of us here. It's already been written in the heavenlies, but he's writing it for us now to see who's willing to participate. And he's got our name as characters in every script. And he's saying, all I need to know is you're willing to shift and change. Yeah, but Lord, the, the flight's not here yet. Doesn't matter. I own all the flights. I own all the airplanes. But Lord, you don't understand how Hollywood works. I understand how Hollywood works. I need somebody to stand in the gap. Would you get up out of your stupor? But would you rise up and just stand and not equivocate? Don't move in that place of standing in the gap. And then I want you to start to be willing to raise up your hand. I want you to show that weakness to the world because in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. What shall we do? The people say the kingdom of God, John the Baptist said, is coming. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. In the end, dear friends, we are living in the most extraordinary moment of life. And I'll end on this, and then I'm going to tag team over to Mary. There was a moment 
as there were many moments in the Old Testament, but there was one particular moment when another woman, who is the metaphor of the church that seems to have no hope, goes to Elisha and says, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. I have nothing left. Elisha said, well, how can I help you? Well, what have you got in your hand? What have you got in your house? I don't have very much of anything. I've run out of everything. I'm so paralyzed. My hand's withered. I don't know what's going on. I can't see any hope. Nothing's going right. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Start to love your neighborhood. Start to see your territory from my point of view. And I'll show you what really is going on in the heart of the matter. And by the way, be greedy. Don't ask for a few. Because you see, you can't limit me in cities and nations when you position them before me. Bring all of Hollywood to me and see what I can do with it. Then go inside and go into that place of intimacy. Shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all of the jars And as each is filled, put it to one side. Miracle upon miracle, she left him and afterward shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. God loves to complete what he has begun. And he's not a dribbling God. He's a fulfilling God. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then they all stopped flowing. She went, she told the man of God, he said, go sell you all, pay your debts. You and your sons can live in what is left. I love this because you see, Elisha is synonymous with the promise of God. The oil is synonymous with the provision of God. The jars are synonymous with the Hollywoods, the Los Angeleses, the Santa Monica's, wherever we come from, our neighborhoods, our businesses. But the woman is synonymous with you and me. Are we willing to get up, to rise and to stand, to stretch out our hand, our place of weakness, our place of impotence? And are we willing for God to see us bring the jars to him, bring our communities even this moment, bring our areas of hopelessness, bring our areas of barrenness, bring those things we do not yet see to him and watch him release the oil, maybe not in the way we thought. He's bringing the promise on horses. The horses have been released globally. The horses are getting into a gallop. We're getting prepared to gallop with the horses. We're getting prepared for the most extraordinary piece of divine drama that God's had waiting since the beginning of time to lift the curtain so we can see that we are all participants in this extraordinary drama that is going to unfold before all of humanity. Are you willing to go and get the jars? Are you willing for the provision of God to be positioned in your life? Are you willing? Are you willing to be the woman out of obedience who will do what she's told, even though the resources look like nothing? Are you willing to be available for God to do what he wants to do? Father, may we indeed today rise up. May we indeed today no longer equivocate. May we indeed today stop waiting at magic formula, fantasy thinking pools where old angels and old memories and old ways still exist. May we be willing to see what you're doing today and know that we are participants 
of this amazing divine drama. Today, Father, when people say, what should we do? We will say, get ready. The horses are coming. Get ready. The oil is provided. Get ready. The day of the Lord is drawing nigh and we want to be part of it. Father, open up our eyes to see what you want us to show us. Open up our ears to listen to your holy counsel. Open up our minds, Father. Renew them with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And open up our hearts. So when we have to go on stage, it's not us, Father. It's you and us. Jesus and us is the hope of glory. That's what the world will see. And that's what's going to fill their appetites. In the wonderful, all-powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. that message. I'll submit. I much prefer being down where I can walk around, look people eyeball to eyeball. Well, would you move the podium down for me then? Oh, yay, Jesus. You'll forgive me if I move down here. I know the consensus was you wanted the podium up here. And may I invite those of you over here to come on this side of the room? I just want to welcome you into this. Oh, yes, I do. There you go. There you go. There you go. Glory. Because I, I've got to move. Especially when I feel the power of God starting to fall strongly, I, I have to move. And I'm afraid I'll fall off the platform, which I've done before. Someone thought the Spirit of God did it to me, but it wasn't. <laughs> Glory. My name is Mary Glazier. I'm uh, with Windwalkers International out of Anchorage, Alaska, Palin country. Read my lipstick. I really like Sarah Palin. However, I submit to the, can someone open this for me? Thank you, sweetheart. Um, however, we are in a diverse nation, and I happen to really like diversity. All right, gang, what am I doing wrong? Too close? Oh, I like this even better. I can check eyeballs. <laughs> this is, I like diversity. I really, really like diversity. I'm Native American. I'm Haida from Ketchikan, Alaska, originally from Masset, British Columbia. I'm of the Yaklanas clan, the Brown Bear Community House. Our family symbol is a double-finned killer whale. I've preached in the drenched rain before, so my Bible's been through it before. And I want you to know, I'm also of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I love the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you right up front, I'm spirit-filled. I speak in tongues. 
And I'm not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. I love him. He is God. Holy Spirit, come. Come. Holy Spirit, come. Impregnate us with the destiny of God. Impregnate us with that which you have determined we should walk in in this hour. Impregnate us with truth. Impregnate us, O God. Begin to speak to us. Remove our natural human resistance to one another and our stubborn insistence on our way or the highway. Move on us, O God, I pray. We welcome you, Spirit of the Lord. We welcome you. We love you. We love you with a passion. You are our teacher. You are our guide. I acknowledge that today. You are our God. We will have only one God. We will not exalt our egos or our plans or our strategies to the throne. We will only have Jesus Christ enthroned. And we welcome you to reveal to us anything in our hearts that would resist you in any way. And we're willing to lay it down as you bring the revelation. Who? Hallelujah. As Alistair has already said, this is a very serious, critical time. An extremely critical time. I said a few days ago that this was the first day of the New World Order. Something major has shifted in our nation, and uh, I'm not getting into politics. I'm just going to talk about the kingdom right now. Something major has shifted in the, in the nation, and that means it's shifted also in the kingdom of God. It is a season when we must move into that final end time stretch. The horses have been released. We, the gates have been opened in the north. The gates in the northwest in Seattle have been opened. The people of God have been storming the gates in nation after nation after nation. And we are hearing reports of the horses that are beginning to run. And the young people are awakening and they're moving powerfully. They are not going to wait for us old geezers to keep up. We have got to be running with them now. We cannot afford to waste time with our own issues and our own agendas. It is too late for that. God gave us a season when he would wink at our own issues and he would wink at our own failings. But the time now is to move into the kingdom with the young or we will not be uh, where we need to be. We will be left behind. Trust me, left behind is not a good place to be. I don't care what your issues are. You have to look at it through the filter of the kingdom. It says in Matthew 24, it speaks about the signs of the end. Nation will rise against nation. We are so familiar with that scripture. How many of you have been saved more than 50 years? All right. Hey, me too. How many of you have been saved more than? No, I won't go there. No, behave. Sometimes I get a little mischievous and get sidetracked. Okay. Those of you who have been saved for that long, we have seen some things go through the body of Christ. Waves. Uh, people emphasizing this, battling over that. There was a time when you couldn't go into a Catholic church or you'd be lost forever. 
There would be time when I wasn't allowed to wear, wear um, red because only brazen hussies wore red. Then I went to a church where the only holy color was black or was red and black was a negative color. I mean, the craziest things we believed in the body of Christ. I want to tell you right now, some of our uh, perceptions have to fall by the wayside. We have to get a kingdom viewpoint of what is happening globally. We can't even hold to and adhere to a national viewpoint. As Americans, we have our own worldview that isn't necessarily a kingdom view. God, you've heard it said before, I'll say it again, it never gets old. God is not a Republican, he is not a Democrat, and he's not American. He's not Canadian. He is a tad bit bigger than that. He is so wonderful. He fills the span of creation. His breath ignites things and turns the whole course of history. He can easily speak one word and everything would suddenly snap into alignment. But for some reason, he wants us to cooperate with him and work with him so that when the rewards are passed out in heaven, we get, to, we get some rewards that he, we've labored with him. I fully expect God to announce the warriors in Alaska and guess who's going to rush to the forefront? Jesus, I'm here. I'm here. I fought a few battles. I'm battle scarred. Rewards. God wants us to labor with him. All right. Famines, earthquakes, tsunamis. These are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Gang, we've already started our birth pangs. We are already, the earth is in full labor to bring forth. Full labor. Any of you who've brought forth a child, you know it is a messy process. It is not fun. I have been, um, was able to be a midwife for six births. And I'll tell you, some of the things you hear during labor, is <laughs> you have to just allow grace during the labor season. I remember one dear husband, I was, he was trying to comfort his wife and his wife reached up and grabbed him and jerked him down and said, this is your fault. <laughs> so during the birth pang season, the church is going to say some things that's going to hurt. She's going to be upset. There will be a lot of pain. You have to have grace. You have to have grace. Come on. You have to have grace for one another during this birth pain season because it's a messy, painful, difficult season. We are laboring to bring forth. We are groaning. The earth itself is groaning. There is birth pains everywhere. And I hear the pain and suffering on the body of Christ. Of course there's pain and suffering. We are delivering a great big baby. Whoa, hallelujah. I can hardly wait for that great big baby to be born. Now, as we are in this time of the end, the scripture says in Matthew 24, it's a good chapter, that deception will be on the land. Great deception will be on the land. 
quote, even if it were possible for the very elect to be deceived. Then verse 36, I'm in Matthew 24, verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven or the sun. Jesus doesn't even know. We don't know. We can tell seasons, but we don't know that exact moment. When a woman goes into labor, she doesn't know the exact moment that child is coming. She hopes it's really soon, but she does not know. And we do not know the exact hour. But it gives us a little clue. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, the people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving and married marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing listen they knew nothing the world knows nothing I hear foolish things coming across the uh, news CNN I'll tell you right now CNN you are out to lunch and some of your viewpoints not all But some of your viewpoint, we must have a kingdom mentality. We cannot take our perceptions from the world's reports. You must not do that. You need to be plugged into the teacher who is the Holy Ghost, our wonderful, wonderful God. He will instruct you. That's his job. That's why he's called a teacher. And you will hear. The word of God says, my sheep hear my voice. Don't tell yourself you don't hear. You do hear. Part of the problem is you don't always recognize. You know, the word for glory in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word kabod, which means weighty or splendor or heavy. That's why you'll be in a room and a heavy presence comes upon you. That's the kabod. But in the New Testament, the word for glory is doxa, and doxa has a totally different meaning. The root meaning of doxa, from which we get doxology, is recognition for what a person or a thing is. Recognition. Therefore, it's imperative that you recognize when God is speaking to you. He will help you to recognize His voice. That's part of the glory on the church. He reveals his truth to us. One of the things the Lord showed me years ago is that my mindset and my thought process was governed by the lies that had been told me by the world. But I didn't know I had those lies because I'm a a truthful person. I really like truth and I'll try to speak the truth kindly, but I will speak the truth. I used to dance around if I didn't want to hurt someone, but I still try to speak the truth because I love the truth. Then I received the Holy Ghost, who is the spirit of truth, and now I love the truth even more. But one day the Lord revealed to me that I had um, rocks in my head that were lies. 
that had been dropped in by the enemy's whispers. And I'll give you an example of this. I hate to admit this, but God always has me share out of my failings, not necessarily my glorious overcomings. I was, um, I have a very quiet husband. He's part Athabascan Indian, and he's very Indian in his heart. So he is a very quiet man. I'm a tad bit noisier than he is. A little bit more outgoing. And so um, I was talking to him one day, trying to encourage him to reach out a little more. I was just bringing a little wise, womanly, wifely counsel. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, Get your hands off of Tom's heart. His heart is a quiet place where I walk and find rest. Whoa. Well, don't you find rest in my heart? In a different way, yes. It's important that you hear from the Spirit of God. So one day, my son, I have a son who's very outgoing. He walks into the room, a rumble follows him. He's kind of a noisy soul. I can't imagine who he took after. But when he comes in the room, you know he's in the room because the door sort of, sort of blasts open off of its hinges and he stomps into the room and asks, where's the chow? Now, because he was a 10-pound baby when he was born, he did the same thing at birth. So he's followed true to suit. Anyway, he, he's this outgoing character and walked into my place of business one time and was just bubbly telling me about his day, and this thought dropped into my heart. Hmm. I'm going to have to bring some correction here. How will I discipline him? He's a great big guy, six foot big no, he's too big to spank. I know what I'll do. I'll tell Tom, my husband. That's what I'll do. I'll tell him. He'll take care of it. Then I thought, Tom's real quiet. He's not going to want to take care of this. I'll bet he's not going to take care of this. In fact, I'll bet he's just going to ignore this issue and I'll have to deal with it. By now, I'm mad. Now, we get in the car and we're heading home. My son's in the back seat. My daughter's in the back seat. And I'm fuming in the front seat. Because I knew that my sweet husband was not going to deal with this problem. So now I have another problem. Now I have to deal with my husband. So I'm loading my gun. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. And he said, what did Tom Jr. do? Why, he, um, he, let's see, he came in my office. Uh, let's see. He, he, uh. The enemy had accused my son to me. No foundation in fact. My husband was the second one to come under accusation. Tom's not going to do anything about this. Now here's my innocent husband not doing a thing. And here I am believing a lie. So I said, devil! Get out of here in Jesus' name. Dead silence hit the back seat of the car. But a heavy weight lifted off the car instantly, and I realized that my mind was susceptible to the lies of the enemy. 
Now, this is critical for us because we are at the time of the end when the world is blanketing the airwaves with lies, 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 lies. You must be willing to question the lies and to say, what is the truth here? Especially when an accusation against a brother or sister in Christ comes to you. So if anyone sends a, an email to you saying that um, Mary Glazier has... Uh, uh, has killed Mother Teresa. That's a, an email that just went out about a, three weeks ago. Please don't believe something like that. That's ludicrous. Or you hear an email saying, uh, Alistair is a rotten brother and you can't trust him and, and etc. Don't believe the lies, the accusation. There's always a mixture of truth with lies. I haven't killed anybody. Trust me. I haven't, I'm not, I'm pretty good about keeping the, the Big Ten. It's the subtle things that I stumble over. Praise God for the cross. Listen, if you are going to be one who is not deceived, your thought process, your worldview must be rooted in the truth of the word, not rooted in CNN or any other news outlet that's blasting the airwaves with a terrible mixture of lies and truth. It's critical for you to be a people who can separate the truth from a lie. It's very important. And in many lies, there is a mixture of truth. But in, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in our day. Now, reading that, that tells me I need to find out what it was like in the days of Noah. Doesn't that make sense to you? If it was the same today as it was then, then let's find out what it was like then. Genesis 6, starting with verse 5. The Lord saw... How great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Whoa. Only evil all the time. We are in a time when due to the bombardment of words that do not come from the kingdom, it's enticing man's heart to evil thoughts all the time. Hatreds, bitterness, divisions, accusations, lacking love. And this is what happened as a result. The Lord was grieved that he had made man upon the earth. And his heart was filled with pain. Whoa. This is during the days of Noah. Our wonderful God's heart was filled with pain. I want to do everything I can to love the heart of God. To cause his heart to be filled with joy. To cause his heart to say, oh, there's my baby. Look what she's doing. To say, oh, I'm so glad I made her. I'm so glad she's standing for Christ. I'm so glad this group is standing in unity, arm in arm, hand in hand. 
I'm so glad that there's a, a heart with my people that they want to love one another. Whoa. God regretted making mankind. He actually wanted to wipe out mankind from the face of the earth. That is a radical move for a creator. A radical move. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Don't you want to find favor in his eyes? I want to find favor in his eyes. I don't know everything. In fact, I know very little. But what little I do know helps me to stand in my walk in a place of the integrity God has called me to. And each one of you is being asked to walk in integrity in your journey. Do you remember the scripture that Alistair read in Luke 3, 11 to 14? What shall we do? Each one was given different instructions according to what they were accountable for. The tax collector, don't collect more taxes than you should. And the soldier, don't make false accusation. Don't make false accusation. Come on. Don't beat up your brother and sister. These are the kinds of things that are going to really make a difference. Don't go beyond your authority. Don't go beyond into someone else's sphere and field because you don't have the wisdom to make right decisions in that field. I don't go into uh, the music industry and start telling the artists what they should sing or what they should play or how they should create because I don't have an authority there. I don't have a clue. All I know is I trust them to do what's right. My sister Joanne here, I love her worship. It moves me deeply. I would be an idiot to tell her what to write or play. I know where middle C is on the keyboard. You know, I could do that. But that's far beyond my grace. It does not extend to that field. But you ask me about Alaska, that's my territory. That's where I have battled. That's where my battle scars were earned. That's where I have terrible losses and great victories. That's my territory. That's where we watch over the northern gate. That's where God has granted me authority to stand. I cannot stand in Florida and tell the Floridians what to do because that's their territory. And you have a sphere here in Hollywood that belongs to you. I can come alongside and I can say, come on, we can do it and strengthen you. I can say the horses are riding. Come on, let's get on board and ride. I can tell you that. I can tell you a kingdom message because I'm in the kingdom. But each of us has to answer for our own sphere. I don't tell you what to do in your own family. I don't correct your children. I mean, if you invite me to lunch and I start spanking your children, you'd be a little upset with me. But God, he is wonderful. He has given all of you authority. Noah found favor. 
Because of that favor, Noah was granted something very special. He had some characteristics here. Number one, he was a righteous man. In his generation, he was righteous. In right standing with God. Whoa. We can do that, can't we? We, we can be righteous, right? That's what the blood of the cross was all about. It covers our sins daily. So we can stand in right standing with our God. He was blameless among the people of his time. You see, every generation has a sin they must overcome in their generation. I don't answer for Hitler's generation, for the Germans in Germany. I have no answer for that, but they are dealing with those issues. The Germans are dealing with it. I had to deal with the sin in Alaska when Alaska was invaded by Japan in 1942. Then they slaughtered some Aleutian Islanders and they took a whole island or a whole village from the from Atu Island back to Japan as prisoners of war and they were incarcerated in a concentration camp in Japan where they died but Japanese soldiers 2500 of them died in Alaska it was the second bloodiest battle in World War II when our soldiers came to Atu Island to set the islanders free the Japanese committed suicide rather than surrender to the Japanese. They lost, 2,500 lost their lives. Our state was responsible for that bloodshed on our soil. So our intercessors repented greatly on our faces. We went to the Aleutian chain to repent, and we cried out to the Lord for his forgiveness. And this July, the Lord sent me and part of our global team, Murray and others to Japan to Hokkaido Island and that was the island where our prisoners were incarcerated and the Japanese when they heard about this battle they instantly repented and cried out to God and God's blood covered that wicked incident on both sides Alaska and Japan and healing took place and we had immediate fruit Alaska, who had been number one in the nation with the suicide statistics, we have the highest in the nation, have dropped down to number three, and it's plummeting. Japan. I just got this report two days ago. The Japanese young people have come alive in God, and it's spreading across Japan the young people are receiving the Lord and coming to him in greater numbers than before because something was healed between the two places. Japan and Alaska, the land of the midnight sun, Alaska, and the land of the rising sun, Japan. Now, that's a prophetic thing for the body of Christ. I could only function in the sphere I had been given authority in. And in my generation is when the healing came for something that had happened in 1942. God is bringing healing to the land. And he's sending people who have authority to bring healing to the land. And that's, that's you. You have authority here in Hollywood. This is your sphere. You can bring healing to the land in your time. I believe this is the timing of the Lord. Noah also, number three, walked with God. 
That is a place of intimacy. Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. He had that intimate relationship with the Lord and he just kept walking and suddenly realized the scenery around him had changed and he was in a totally different place because God took him. God wants us to walk with him like that in that kind of beautiful, precious intimacy with God. Whoa, we can do that. We can do that. Every single one of us can do that. Now, I did some further study. It goes on further in that chapter, and it says that God told Noah to build an ark and that he was going to call for the creatures two by two to come to him. Some The clean animals by seven, the unclean by twos were to come to him. And he said, they will come to you, Noah, to be kept alive. And that they, the, all those that have the breath of life in it would hear his word. That first mention of breath of life in Genesis 6 that refers to the animals, it, the Hebrew word is neshama. It's the same word that's used when Adam was created and God knelt and breathed in him the neshama, the breath of life, and man became a living being. But there is another breath mentioned in that chapter, in chapter 6 of Genesis. Excuse me, in chapter 7 of Genesis, verse 15, it says, Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. This second mention of the breath of life is a totally different Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word, ruach which means divine breath. It's the, it also means the spirit. It's that invisible, intangible element of air, fleeting element of air. Whoa. It's when the air in a room suddenly gets still. Let's take a deep breath and just relax. Invisible, intangible, fleeting quality of air. That's ruach. Manifests in a room. It's the Holy Spirit of God that permeates every molecule in this room. It permeates you if you have received an infilling of the breath of God. (laughs) If you have received an infilling of the breath of God, He saturates you down to your DNA level, to that double helix in your DNA. And he alters it to line up with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you literally become one with him. Whoa. The Ruash of God is really heavy in the room right now. 
According to Genesis 7, all pairs of all creatures that had that ruach did something more than just hear his voice. They obeyed. And the minute, because God sent his voice out to all of his creation, he's that kind of a God. He's loving. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his word out calling them to the place of safety. But only those who had the ruach obeyed and started marching toward the ark by twos and they were delivered. There is an ark prepared in this hour and God is sending his voice out and he's calling all to come into that that place of safety. Rough waters are ahead. We are in the middle of a tremendous upheaval right now. The new world order is taking shape all over the globe. The economic conditions of the nations are now beginning to solidify under the control of a few. And the God is saying, get into the ark now. Get into the ark now. Come into that place of safety now. Not everybody will respond, but God will make sure that all of his people hear. Not everybody will respond. I'm telling you now, be a people who respond. Don't ignore the warnings. Ask God, what do you want me to do? What must I do? Ask the Lord, what do you want me to do to be in that place of safety? It will be different for each one according to what God has planted in you. You will have different instructions. But whatever it is you're told to do, get into the ark. That place of the abiding presence of the Lord that will bring you through difficult waters into a place where you are kept by the hand of the Lord. Because the hand of God closed that door to the ark and even Noah himself could not open it. Because the door was closed by the hand of the Lord. There is a season when God is calling us to safety, but there will come a time when the door closes. Don't delay and wait until the very last minute. I can't tell you the number of people I've witnessed to who said, I'll, I'll repent on my deathbed. I'll repent at the last minute. I, I want to love and enjoy life while I'm here. I'll repent later. There will come a time when there will no longer be the ability later. You know, God gives, when God is visiting with his spirit, that's the time to move. I have a dear friend who has a healing anointing. And when the, the uh, power to heal comes upon her in a room, she'll say, quickly, quickly, this is, and God will give her words of knowledge. She'll give the words of knowledge and she'll say, come forward now, quickly, quickly. And people will run to the front and she'll pray for them. They're healed all over the place. And then the door closes. The healing anointing is gone. There's sweet presence in the room. But that power anointing is lifted. It has a beginning and it has an end. You need to know that it has an end. And then she'll have a number of people who will come up and say, you know, that word of knowledge. I have that. And would you pray for me? Now, of course, she she loves them. She'll pray for them. But the truth of the matter is she doesn't heal. God heals. 
And God heals when He's in the room to heal. And when they delay, the healing anointing is no longer there. Whoa. Does that sound unloving? God's making it very clear. He's making it very clear. It's time to come in. It's time to position yourself to receive your healing. It's time to see the way God sees. He is a wonderful God. Matthew 22. Whoa. Let's turn to Matthew 22. This is the story. In verse 1, he's speaking to them in parables, and he's speaking about the wedding banquet and the kingdom of God. Matthew 22, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to tell them to come, but they refused to come. They were too busy. Some of them were just having a gay old time. Some of them were busy with their uh, businesses. Some were busy with their families. Some, but some were out on picnics. Some were doing their own thing. But they were too busy to come when the invitation came. And so he said, go out in the highways and byways and invite them to come to the wedding banquet because it is ready. And so they went out. The servants went out and began to invite people from the highways and byways. They gathered all the people they could find, good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But some of the guests did not have wedding garments. They were not prepared The wedding garments, that fine linen of the uh, church, are the righteous acts of the saints. You cannot just skate in with a little fire insurance when you accepted Jesus as a child. It, It doesn't work that way. Righteous acts are important. That's how you get your linen, your garment. Remember, we, when we walked in and we saw this, um, do you call them catwalks? Okay, this catwalk, what do they do with the fashion show? They're, they're modeling new garments, right? And then another one will come out and they're modeling a different garment for the new season. This is not accidental. God says we are in a change of season and we have new garments and he wants to hand out new garments. He wants you to be clothed right with that fine white linen so that you are ready for the banquet. And if you are not ready, it's not that you'll lose your salvation. Hear me now. It's not that you'll lose your salvation because it's really hard to lose your salvation. I don't believe now once saved, always saved. I think you can lose your salvation if you reject the Lord himself, and reject him. But you have to really work at it. However, you can lose that arc of safety through the storm that's coming. In which case, you will be in the outer darkness where the storm breaks upon you. And you won't be able to find that place of safety because you have ignored the Lord's voice and the door has been closed. There's another example of that in the next chapter, in chapter 24, and I'll make this really quick. Excuse me, chapter 25 of Matthew. It speaks about the five wise and the five foolish virgins. Virgin is also always referring to the church. 
He never refers to the lost. That's five wise in the church, five foolish in the church. Foolish, the, Hebrew, the Greek word for foolish is maron. Let's see, moroni. What is, no, that's. Yes, we get the word moron from, but I've, I've gotten the pronunciation of that incorrect, and it's totally gone, and so we'll just ignore that. The word for foolish means heedless, not paying attention, stupid, dumb cough, blockhead, thick-headed. Come on. Listen, the five whys. It means to rein in your emotions, your mind, and your will. It also means practically wise in relationship to others. It has to do with our relationship with one another in the body of Christ. I have purposed to know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. And I am tenacious about loving you. I have loved some real orangutans. And I have told the Lord, Father, your son needs to be spanked really badly right now. But I am not the one to discipline. My job is to love. If I can anchor someone with my love, God can deal with them. I will not reject them. I will not put them outside the family of God. That is not my job. That's outside of my sphere, and I won't be found in that place that belongs to God alone. He is the one who disciplines his family. I don't enter into his family and start beating up on his kids. I don't do that. But listen, it says they were all asleep, all of them. Whole body of Christ has been asleep a long time. All of them heard the cry, wake up. You heard Alistair speaking about that this morning. Get up. Come on, something's happening. That cry to wake up has been upon the body of Christ now for a number of years. The bridegroom is coming. Get ready. And I'm telling you this morning, I hear this message in my spirit. You have a season of time to get ready before the door closes because the bridegroom is coming. And listen, he came as a lamb the first time. He's coming as a lion. I want to be in that hidden chamber with him where his hand closes the door and I am safe rather than sitting outside with my own perceptions or worse yet, the perceptions of the news media or worse yet, the perceptions of those who do not love God. I don't want to be caught in their perceptions. I want the perceptions of the kingdom of heaven. And that comes by revelation of the teacher, the Holy Ghost. And they, the five foolish said, they all lit their lamps, so they all have fire. They're alive. These are Christians. They all lit their lamps, so they all had oil. Their lamps are burning. But the foolish ones, their lamps began to get dim, dimmer, dimmer. The revelation is going out. 
the illumination is dying down. They no longer can see clearly. They're trying to see and it's getting much more dim where they sit. And then the voices of the world are clamoring from every side. And they're saying, where's the light? Where's the light? I've got to get more oil. And they want you to give them the oil. And they want you to give them the revelation that took you a lifetime to gain. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. You don't have enough time to do for them what God has been trying to do in their lives for years. But you can tell them, go to the Lord, get your own oil, get your own revelation, come on. But while they were gone, if they miss that window, the door is closed and they'll come. Lord, Lord. Well, the rain is starting to fall and the dark clouds are overshadowing. They'll still make it in the kingdom, but they'll have to go through the storm. I want to warn you tonight. The word of God says in Matthew 25, it says, watch, therefore, because you do not know the day or the hour. That word watch in the Greek is Gregorino. It means wake up, get to your feet, stand up from your sickness. That tells me you can stand up from sickness, begin to deal with it. Stand up from your inactivity. Come on, he does not want you to be a pew warmer. You must be active and engaged. Stand up from non-existence. You must stand up and be counted. Stand up and be counted. You need the extra oil. The scripture Alistair used about the woman who borrowed the empty vessels. All around you are empty vessels. Ask God, which one do I pour into? Begin to pour in the oil you have. You might have just a little bit of oil. That's enough. You pour in that little bit of oil to an empty vessel, it's going to increase. And it'll start to flow more and more and more until you are sloppy with oil. Find the empty vessels around you. They're in your neighborhood. They're on the job. They're in your family. They're all over Hollywood. Ask God, where is my empty vessel? And then ask the Lord, what should I do? I want to leave you with this one scripture, this one thought. I've always found this to be a, a very important anchor for my soul. Love endures long. The foundation of everything we do has to be love. Love is patient and kind. Love is never envious. Don't envy another. Love does not boil over with jealousy. Don't be jealous over what someone else has. Love is not boastful doesn't lift up itself. It's not vainglorious. Love does not display itself haughtily. doesn't do that. Love is not conceited. It's not arrogant. It is not inflated with pride. It's not rude. I have met many rude people in my journey. Love is not rude. It's not unmannerly, behaves itself with dignity. 
It does not insist on its own rights. It's my way or the highway. That's not love. It does not insist on its own way because love is not self-seeking. What's in it for me? Love is not like that. Love, I like this one. Love is not touchy. Easily offended. Stop being easily offended. Scripture says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I mean, you have to really work to offend me. Because I have determined not to be offended. Love is not fretful. It's not resentful. It takes no account of evil done to it. It pays no attention to suffered wrongs. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. Listen to this. It believes the best of every person. It never loses hope and it never fails. The greatest of these really is love. Let that be your guideline. God bless you.